what up all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there thank you for joining me for episode 138 of misfits and rejects in today's episode i spoke with mark zhang mark is a friend of mine that i've met in thailand recently who is a really cool online entrepreneur doing physical products doing things that you know a lot of people wouldn't suspect you could make money in but mark found a niche in sleep masks sleep aid products that help people who have sleep problems get better night's sleep. So I brought him on to tell his story because again, it's just such a unique, fun niche to find himself in that, you know, I think people out there wondering like how they can become a location independent traveler worker can really learn a lot from Mark's story because, you know, he was like many of us out there who went to his job and just one day realized like it was sucking his soul. It was just not fulfilling and he wanted to take responsibility for his life and take more control so we got into the online business game and you know a few a few different businesses down the road he finds himself selling sleep masks and he's grown his business to seven figures and they're going in a direction that they could be at eight figures in the next few years so his company is called mantis sleep it's super cool i mean these masks are awesome if you have sleep problems Something you should really look into. These masks are fully blackout, uh, adjustable, of course, and there's no pressure on your eyes. If you want to get one, you can go into the show notes, into the link below, and check them out. It helps me out, too. I'm an affiliate for him. He's a friend of mine, but I really believe in his product. I have sleep problems as well. I travel a lot, as you know, so I have one of these masks, and they work great. I really like them. You know, like I said, they're fully blackout, and we talk about that throughout the podcast, how getting certain spectrum of light, even through your eyelids, you know, can inhibit your sleep patterns and how really important it is to be in a fully blacked out environment to really get the best sleep possible. Mark is a huge fan of naps. He uh, encourages all of his staff to take a nap every single day. In fact, in the office, they take naps every day, which I think is super cool. And when I met him, Mark was uh, always taking these short little naps to just really be more efficient with his day and utilizing these sleep masks can really help. So again, if you are somebody who suffers from sleep problems, please check out one of these masks. You can go through the link below. Like I said, I'm an affiliate. It does help me out a little bit. He does uh, give me a few bucks as an affiliate for Man to Sleep, but it's a super great product. Mark is a really cool dude and I love supporting misfits and rejects out there who are doing super interesting things and making a great living doing it. You know, Mark is location independent digital nomad who is super inspirational in the business that he's created and life he's designed for himself. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Mark Zhang. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Mark Zhang, a good friend of mine that I met recently in Thailand. He's the owner and operator of Manta Sleep Mask, and his story just when I heard it blew me away, not only because of what he's accomplished within his business, but also I could really connect with his frame of mind when he started it, where he wanted to go with it, and just the lifestyle he wanted to design around it. So Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Chapin. Thanks for thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here. Yeah, thank you for taking the time, dude. Um, you know, Mark, you grew, you were born in Xi'an, China. Uh, your yeah. parents then what emigrated to Vancouver, where you pretty much developed. You you 
went to high school there. You did school in Vancouver, yep. I'm assuming as well, college? Yes, university in Vancouver. And then you emigrated to the U.S. where your, your company is based now. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Um, and so I guess can you kind of take us through like your frame of mind after getting out of college and what you really wanted to accomplish? Like, Did you go straight into the nine-to-five? Like, what, Where were you at and how did you kind of sort of evolve to where you are today? Yeah, so um, in in college, university, I majored in accounting, like business school accounting. And so that's kind of like every Asian parent's dream, right? Like being an accountant. And and in school, there was, we had a huge presence like with the big four accounting firms. They were always recruiting. So I kind of got caught up with into that and thought, you know, hey, if I became a public practice like auditor, I can travel the world and do whatever the heck I want. Just got involved in that. Got into one of the like got into Ernst and Young and worked there for a year, but just felt like every day when I got into work, uh, my soul was just slowly dying. So, um, and 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 the thing is, at that time, so I was around twenty twenty one, twenty two. Uh, a friend of mine from from elementary school had just passed away from leukemia so it was a real wake-up call and i was thinking to myself in some selfish ways like if this was myself like shit i didn't want to spend the rest of my life doing something you know that, that i didn't enjoy so then after that it was a period of traveling reflecting and then going to the states and uh and then just starting a whole bunch of businesses after that to kind of i i had really hadn't i had never up to that point thought that I would start a business or that I was entrepreneurial in any way. I don't have any family members who are in business, but it was just a series of reading books and listening to podcasts, uh, kind of like yours. One of the big ones back then for me was Mixergy by Andrew Warner. And that really just kind of changed my mind, changed my view of life. I was listening through it and there were just so many great stories about entrepreneurs who didn't seem that different from me like they didn't seem they, it was cool stories but they didn't seem like much smarter uh, than I was and I was like man if these guys can do it maybe I should give it a shot too so that's when this whole thing started that's really cool man um, before we dive deeper into that aspect of how this became what it is today can you just talk about that you know transition so you quit the workforce and you went traveling did you go traveling for a long period of time like years or what was that kind of transition like before you moved to the states yeah, so after I quit, it wasn't like I had any clear vision in mind. I thought maybe I should uh, I should become an English teacher uh, abroad, like in Japan or, I don't know, some Asian country for a little bit. But I actually stayed in Vancouver and, and worked for six months. At the time, I thought maybe the dream was to become a YouTube celebrity. <laughs> and that was really what I was thinking because I really like tech, like uh, gadgets and stuff like that. I thought maybe... I could, I could, I could, I had a YouTube channel. Um, I was going to make all these tech gadgets, but it was, you know, I tried that for a while. didn't really enjoy it as much as I thought it would. And it was just a whole, I think about a, a year of really just kind of feeling very insecure about the whole thing. Cause I had just left the corporate world and, you know, all of my friends in accounting and finance were doing their thing, making good money and kind of making progression in their careers. And, my parents had no idea what the heck I was going to do. I had no idea what the heck I was going to do. And I was just feeling really down for, for, for quite some long time. I traveled a bit, but, uh, yeah, afterwards it was just, it was just, you know, back to the States where my parents are now and, uh, and kind of trying to figure out what to do. Right on where, if you, I just want to dig a little deeper on the travel part. Where exactly did you go? Like, did you go to Europe, the classic one, or did you go back to China just to see relatives or 
what was that travel experience like for you? Um, so I had gone to Singapore for a little bit. Um, never been there. I uh, went to Hong Kong for a bit because I had done a school exchange. I, I, I wanted to, because I mean, I after we immigrated to Canada when I was eight, like just I'd never been back to Asia <laughs> at that point. So I thought it'd be kind of good to go back to the region and kind of get in touch with my Asian side. And so that that's that's where I chose. Did that inspire you in a way to like, or the bug bite you being like, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to I want to try to make a life for myself where I can just kind of continue to move around the world and and work just from my laptop or that hadn't really dawned on you yet that that was certainly an aspect of it but for for me i always tell i was just joking inside this community that i'm like a fake digital nomad like there's location independence but i never go anywhere <laughs> and that was certainly the case uh back then back then the idea was like oh, i'm just gonna you know make a couple thousand dollars if i can get there somehow uh, a month and you know and, and and so i can go where the heck i wanted to um so I had that thought in mind, but I just I, I hadn't. But when that when it happened, I wasn't actually moving too much. I was just always staying in the same location. I like I like my habits. I like to I don't like keep finding Wi-Fi hotspots and this kind of stuff. I, yeah, very my very much a creature of routine. And you like to take naps too. That's one thing I learned about you in Thailand is you are a I napper, love and you have a science a behind it. Can you tell us a little about that and why that is such an important aspect of your day? Um, been a light sleeper for most of my life and uh, and I started using a sleep mask when I was like 14 years old or something like that because you know the sun comes up in the morning and I just remember I had this vivid experience but this was way like many many years before it had anything to do with with the current business I was I remember uh, I was I remember this working you know as an accountant we were at a client's office and it was after lunch you come back you're at the client's office I mean you couldn't take a nap even if we were at our own office but at the client's office I, I, you know, after lunch, I was super sleepy, and I sat there looking at a spreadsheet, uh, pretending to work for at least an hour, hour and a half to maybe even two hours, just sitting there for the sake of sitting there. And I thought to myself at that time, like, there's got to be a better way to do this. Like, there's some, there's no way this is the optimal way to live or work for productivity. So that that, that was many years ago, but that was like the spark of it. Um. So then what'd you do to remedy that? Did you like start researching like how to like, uh, be more kind of uh, nap efficient? No, I just, I, I didn't do anything. Cause you could, I mean, even if I was nap efficient, I couldn't take a nap <laughs> in the corporate world. So I had to, I had to, I had to, to, to quit, um, and, and start my own thing for, before the napping started to happen on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. So couldn't do really anything. what you no, did is research. start a business so you can nap. Like you could figure out ways to take your naps throughout the day. Yeah, I, I joke with people now that 50% of the reason I started a, a business was so I can take a freaking nap whenever the hell I want. And, uh, you know, except it's not a joke. It's really, it's really is part of integral part of this whole whole thing. That's the most important part for me rather than traveling to all these different places. That's so cool. Hey, before we talk about Manta and, and where you're at today, can you talk about the first business that you started when you did come to the States and start playing with the, the entrepreneurial side of yourself? Yeah, there was, there was many business um failures along the way i had a bit of um i had a bit of success uh, when i was in college i, I suppose uh, i never really thought of it as an entrepreneurial thing it was just i you know my friends were working at mcdonald's we were like you know like 17 or 18 you know just to, for to, to get some money and at the time my dad was like oh you know you should go check out online people are making money online um so i so i did and i got really really lucky back then because this was 
gosh, maybe 2014, 2000, no, 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 sorry, not 2014, 2004 or 2005. So this was when Google AdWords was just starting to come on the scene. Um, you probably remember back then it was like you could get any keywords for two cents a click. You know, it doesn't matter how competitive it was. And so, so I took advantage of that and made some like affiliate sites, like kind of like best whatever review. And then you send the traffic, people buy a course and, and I make some commission and, and that paid off college. You know, that, that should have been kind of a, a sign to me, but I hadn't really thought of it as a business in, in any way. And then like three or four years after that, when I was think, thinking to myself, okay, now I'm going to start an actual business. Um, then the whole, then the experience was like downhill for many years before it started coming back up and finally surpassing <laughs> my college days. So the first business was, uh, I, I made, uh, I made, uh, it was called slip Sopper. I made, um, I made fo- phone skins like for the iPhone. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that was it. Um, it was okay for a while. I got featured by some big magazines, but it never took off and I was never able to, 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 to live off of that. And then I made some wallets and I was, I was in a t-shirt business for some while and lost like 20 grand. And yeah, just, yeah, it was how, if you don't mind me asking, like, how are you funding these businesses? Were you borrowing money? And then how are you making the connections to have these things manufactured? Did you have a foot in the door because of your Chinese background to get things manufactured in China and then shipped to the States? Like, can you talk us through that process? Right. So, um, in terms of money, like I tend, I tend to be on top of it, you know, being an accounting background and all of that. So I had some savings, but with all of these physical products, there's Kickstarter, right? Like I've done a Kickstarter project for almost most of the business I did. So for slip software, I raised like $4,000 and that time I was like, Oh, mind blown. Like, Oh my God, like people on the internet would give me $4,000 to make this crazy idea that I had. And so that was the, the genesis of that. And, and in terms of sourcing, so we do a lot of our manufacturing, not all of them now in, in China, but at the, at the beginning uh, in China, and it was just Alibaba searching. Uh, the fact that I speak Mandarin uh, definitely was extremely helpful uh, in terms of navigating that. You don't have to. Um, most of the factories will have, um, I put quotes around it, but English-speaking salespeople. So you can get by. Um, it just won't be as efficient, when, um, but, but it does, yeah. So I just went on Alibaba, found some suppliers in China, never even visited them, just got samples and, and started the production. That's so interesting. It was really that easy. Mm, easy and hard. Easy as in it's so easy to, f- to find these days, um, like with Alibaba making the connection. Um, hard as in there's a lot of stuff, that, like just experiences to, to, to pick up along the way, right? Like how to import, how to make sure you don't get scammed. And there's a lot of scammers, how to how much deposit to pay and what shipping terms and these stuff, these kind of things you, you just, I kind of just picked up along the way as I was trying to bring in the first shipments. Did you have any big sort of like uh, burns or stings from you know people taking advantage of your lack of knowledge in the beginning fa- phases of this? Um, no, I think I was fortunate and lucky in, in some ways, careful in others. Um, we've had that later on, um, uh, like just like last year <laughs> we got burned by a couple of suppliers, but back then it was actually relatively smooth going in terms of the not being scammed and suppliers being honest and stuff like that. So like with the supplier burns you, was it like him not delivering or her, sorry, not delivering what they said they would, or was it just like they just went bankrupt and never refunded you your money or what? Yeah. Yeah. So last year we, this was for like one of the many products that we're doing right now. And, uh, so we paid for like the entire amount because we've been working with them for a while. This was right before Chinese New Year. Actually, this is a really good, um, point like you gotta be real careful in terms of placing deposits before chinese new year because a lot of these factories when they're when they're when their workers leave for chinese new year 
um, for the workers is about like 30 days, maybe even a little bit more. A lot of them go out of business because the workers don't come back or the owners just decide, you know what, screw this, I don't want to do it anymore. So we pay them the entire amount and they, they just disappeared. Uh, couldn't find them, calls, and they're like, oh yeah, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, and then they just stopped talking. But it wasn't too bad. We lost a few grand, but it was... Wow, that is a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what does an entrepreneur mean to you? Because you, you talked about nobody in your family really being an entrepreneur or having an entrepreneurial spirit. I know for me, I have a very specific idea of what an entrepreneur is and I know I'm not that person. So what does being an entrepreneur mean to you and do you think that you fit that mold based on your well, definition? I'm, a, I'm actually kind of curious when you say that. So what is it for you like in terms of the definition? For me, it's always been like I thought you had to be born an entrepreneur like it was a genetic thing. I mm. thought that entrepreneurs were people who sought out markets where that they could exploit monetarily. Like they weren't really interested in the product or the service that they were providing, but they were just like, I can make money in this area. Therefore, I'm going right. to dive into it and try to make as much money as I can. That was kind of like what I saw around me growing up here in Newport Beach and just how that's how people made money around me. So it's like, that's, I'm not an entrepreneur. That's not what I do. It's not how right. I would ever operate. So I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. Is, is that definition back then or is that still the, the case today? I would say... I would say from like uh, how I feel about entrepreneurship today, like I still yeah. kind of revert back to those old emotional attachments to like viewing myself as a non-entrepreneur. Like I'm not really Got a hustler. It. Like I'm not going to just like try to flip a buck on something I don't care about. Um, so it. that still resonates me and you know, it's probably something I should talk to my mastermind group about like a psychological barrier. But um, obviously I, I have – I guess by the definition, which I gave to the audience a few episodes ago, you know, by definition, an entrepreneur is somebody who uh, takes financial risk, um, yeah. an, ex an extreme f amount of financial risk to, you know, better their life circumstances or something like that through business. And Got it. I guess in a certain sense, I do that. So how about I you? have, I have had a similar kind of um, view on what entrepreneurship is. I remember doing this um, career kind of goal like exercise when I was about to graduate kind of trying to figure out what fit me. And and, and I, I just didn't put anything in the entrepreneurial section because I thought entrepreneurs were people who were risk takers, like you said. And I thought to myself, like, I'm a super conservative, conservative guy. Risk taking is not it for me. Um, and so that was the view for a long time until I actually got into the space, until I started meeting people. I mean, today, as we operate the business, I still run it relatively uh, conservatively. We always we're, we're, we're self-funded. Uh, we're using our profits to grow. I'm not taking any loan because we could, I suppose, to try to grow faster, but it's just, I, I don't, I'm, I'm a sleep-centric company, right? That's going to make me not sleep um, that well. But I think for me in the last five, seven years, um, the, perhaps the, 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 the mindset shift is I feel or I think that entrepreneurship is, if anything, the more secure way to operate life because I have much more control in terms of my creative energy and what I do with that creative energy, how I turn it into value for people and how that how I turn that into profit for the team, for the business, for myself. Whereas working for somebody else where traditionally maybe it sounds more secure actually I think does not have anywhere near the level of security as you do as an entrepreneurship because your fate is not totally within your control. You could get fired for no reason that, that has nothing to do with your performance. It also, I feel like um, 
but again, just a very personal thing. I feel like um, my best work uh, that has ever come out, in, like in all my life, has come from me focusing and doing stuff that I believe in, that that that's, that I have ownership in. And I just really never got that sense of feeling when I was working for a, a couple of different corporate jobs. I was after accounting. I also worked in marketing. Um, for a while, I just never got that. I don't think I was able to. Perhaps it's, it's it's maybe it's a manager or whatever it is. I was never able to bring out the best creative energy or energy in general that that, that I had. So for me, I think entrepreneurship. It's I don't know. It's just just what life is now. <laughs> you know, eloquently said, and thank you for sharing it in that way because I could really relate to that. And I would say through that definition, I will find my own sort of entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> it's like, I can relate to that a lot. And thank you for yeah. that. You know, yeah. you, you alluded to being very successful with some Kickstarter campaigns throughout all these um, entrepreneurial endeavors. Can you talk about those? And I mean, even give us the secret sauce if you don't mind, because I know you've had some real big ones, ones that like, I think a lot of people may even do a case study on you for, can you talk about your Kickstarter kind of campaigns? Yeah. Went? Yeah. So, so it wasn't always so, – so we've done like three Kickstarter campaigns uh, thus far. The first one was about $5,000 was for that uh, phone case company. This was like way back in 2012, I think. Um, and then after that, I started another business, another brand. This was a all-natural car air purifier called Pergo. And so this one um, hustled real hard. This one did about thirty-five or 40000 ish dollars on Kickstarter. And then the last one we did – um, which was about two and a half years ago now, I think, uh, was for Mantis Sleep. So this one was definitely the big winner. Um, we raised almost $500,000 on Kickstarter and then another two fifty or something like that. So for total on Indiegogo, so total about $750,000 for, um, for Mantis Sleep. Um, in terms of secret sauce, there, I don't think there is any secret. I don't know. Maybe we can do a separate episode and we'll talk about it. <laughs> There's a lot of things that go into it. Um, it, it's, um, I, I think, I think certain, so, so there's two, I guess two things, two, two major things, um, certain things tend to do well on crowdfunding, like for Kickstarter, like stuff like, I'm sure you've seen this, like, like wallets and backpacks and stuff like that, right? There's tons of, um, um, projects like this and many of them raise uh, a lot of money. Um, so usually it's like if the community itself is interested, like if you're doing something really out there, or if it's like uh, focused just on the female market, for example, it tends not to do as well because I think Kickstarter still has more more males than, than females on the platform. So you really want to leverage natively what they have, like the native Kickstarter traffic, right? And the other one is these days, um, I mean, every single big Kickstarter Kickstarter campaign you see is doing uh, paid acquis acquisition, paid traffic to it, like Facebook ads, Google ads. They're they're running ads. Before I thought it was just an all an organic type of thing, um, but no, like anything you see that raised like like more than a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars on Kickstarter, they're running ads like crazy, whether by themselves or, or through agencies. So you got to find whatever that acquisition channel is works for you. That's really interesting. So just out of curiosity, like, are you um, offering everybody a free mask or a discount on a mask if they donate? And like, how do you reward them so, for so donating money? Yeah, so so it's not so the way that Kickstarter calls it is not um, a donation, but a, a pledge, and it's just it's it's almost like uh, pre-ordering, right? Like for physical products, I'm, I'm crowdfunding. People come and say, basically, you have an idea, you go there and say, hey guys, I want to make this crazy, amazing thing, a sleep mask. If you think it's awesome, 
uh, pledge some money to pre-order. So the so the pledge price will be lower. For example, on Kickstarter, I think we did twenty dollars for the mask, but retail price we're selling thirty right now. So it's kind of like pre-order, you get it at a lower price, and if people kind of like the product and believe in it, um, they they pledge and then you deliver. So it's not really like at least with I guess it is somewhat like you donate the money, you get the product later. But Kickstarter doesn't phrase it that way, at least. Genius, genius, man. Yeah. So now let's yeah let's we'll, let's talk about man to masks. And you you alluded to a partner that you started all these businesses with. Is this the same partner that you have now with man to masks? Yeah, the same. I, I not for the first one, but for Pergo, the last one, the the air freshener and uh, man to sleep. I have a uh, a German industrial uh, design business partner. Okay, rad. Um, so yeah, so we, you're in the sleep mask business, and your primary clientele, are, I think, are women. Is that correct? No, just uh, people who are light sleepers. Oh, okay. um, I think that, yeah, the, the common there's there's women, there's men, there's night shift workers, there's frequent travelers, there's people with sleep conditions. But I think the common thread that ties all of our customer base, uh, common thread uh, that ties the customer base together is is that they're light sleepers. And then, so you you had this gangbusters uh, Kickstarter campaign, you know, raised seven hundred thousand dollars roughly. Um, but from what our convers, if the like, if I remember correctly, our conversations were such that you mean you you weren't like gangbusters out the gate when it became a full fledged business. Is that correct? Like it took some years to get to where you are today. Is that right? For man to sleep or yeah, for, for the other sleep. Well, so so we did the launch on Kickstarter. So actually, for this case, it was a gangbuster because uh, I we didn't, like there was nothing before, and so we basically launched the business by doing the Kickstarter. Okay. And then after that, it was then it's just you get to the traditional like how do you grow a business basically after that. Right. I think though that I'm remembering like because you and I have talked a lot about Facebook ads, but Facebook ads coming into play and really taking your your business to another level. In, throughout right. one year period, and that's right. through that's man to mask. I'm assuming, correct? That is man to mask. Yes. So you were you were doing good, but then you you really honed in on uh, making Facebook advertising sort of the core marketing uh, focus. Yeah, it's one of our it's one of our major acquisition channels um, right now, and I know it is for many uh, e-commerce businesses right now these days. Right, and but that like within one year, you said you went from like what six figures to like seven figures. Is that correct? So, so we did seven fifty. We raised that much money, and then the next year, I think we did just over a million dollars in sales for Mantis Sleep. Mm-hmm. And so that was last year, two thousand eighteen. Okay, and now now you're trying to grow it to what five million, ten million? Like, yeah, the well, the the goal right now is to get to eight figures, like in the next two and a half years. So that's what we're trying to trying to go for. How realistic do you think that is? Are you on track? Yeah, yeah, I would say uh, I give it about. A 60% chance um, of, of getting there. I think with these things, um, once once kind of like the, the machine starts running, right? Um, it it takes it takes a few variables to be in place. Like if these things fall in place, and they could very well do so, the way that I think they will, um, we may even get there faster. But if one of these things don't fall in place, uh, sometimes you know the road is the, the ride is bumpy. So. Right. So then what makes your mask so unique? I mean, why why are people so excited about Manta sleep masks? So Manta sleep masks, um, I think the three major USPs for the product itself is, number one, it's 100% guaranteed blackout. Number two, there's no pressure on your eyes. And number three, it's infinitely adjustable. And the, the, the reason why we decided to um, 
designed this product was because we've been, you know, you know I've been a life sleeper. I've been using sleep masks for 15 years of my life, and I literally tried every design out there. And we couldn't find anything that was like super amazing. And I always thought we could do something better. And so that's the kind of the, the, the idea behind the product. These are the three USBs. And I think people kind of initially are drawn to it because it just looks kind of funky. It looks like a look. I get a lot of comments that people say, like, you took, uh, you know, those headphone earmuffs and you just stuck on one, onto a, a strap and made them into a uh, sleep mask. Or people say they, they look like a mini bras. Uh, for your eyes so i think initially that thing that gets people coming is like well this looks kind of weird then they see the reviews and see they see people's experiences and they try for themselves and then and usually they like it that's awesome and then you have other products as well what i mean so with the sleep masks you have one sleep mask i've been through your website i can't find any other options you just have one design right now and that's a manta mask and that's what you're going to get if you buy a manta mask there aren't any other options is that correct Right, but we're we're launching tons of products. I think uh, things are already changing a bit. I think in three months we have a new website coming. We got yeah, we're launching like ten products this year. Um, okay. Just, yeah. But right now, from your website, you can buy like what a sleep pillow, your yeah, some and yeah, some accessories related to sleep. What, uh, like what are those okay. black dots? Well, I didn't know what that was on your website. <laughs> oh, those blackout stickers. <laughs> yeah, what are those things? So you know when you, when you sleep at night. Um, it's ideal to remove all light. So most people think about the light that's coming through the window. So they with a, with a with the blinds or whatnot. But inside your home, your electronics, your power extensions, they all have that little um, power indicator light. You know that neon green or neon red light. Mm-hmm. That stuff is not good for you as well. So you it disrupts your sleep. So you want to cover that up. So those little blackout stickers are those. You can cover it up. But duct tape works. Not as well, but duct tape works as well. So if you got some of that at home, make sure you you block it out. Do you know a little bit about the biology of human beings and light and like why we're sensitive to light and why it's not good for us when we are in the sleep mode? Like I've I've heard something like our cells recognize light, therefore we don't really get into as deep of a sleep when we were well, there's like you just said that little bit of light coming from your your bedside yeah. table. Uh, I've read I've read studies that. Like even our skin can detect light, and it, it does it does impact. But like the, I would say the eighty twenty is like with your eyes, right? Like when when light rays, especially blue light, and blue light is you know like like, like your fluorescent light, your TV screen, your computer. By the way, um, I was just I just did a talk this past weekend uh, about sleep. So the just a quick tip, if so so it doesn't matter if you have a Mac or Windows or Android or iPhone. With the latest software, there's always night mode available, so make sure to turn that on. When you turn it on, your your screen uh, follows the schedule of the sunset and sunrise. It turns yellow, and that filters out a lot of the blue light. That's not good. So what happens is when the blue light hits your, your eyes or retina, it interrupts the uh, production of melatonin, which is what you need to feel sleepy and, and get into good sleep. Um, so that is the major reason why light is not uh, not good when you're sleeping. Also, the other thing is in, in today's world, we want to control our sleep because like, think about it, like when we were cavemen, right? We went to bed uh, when the sun set and we woke up when the sun rose in the morning. Um, so our, our sleep cycle was regulated by the sun, but nobody goes to bed these days when the, when the sun set, we, we, we stay up a lot later. So if you didn't control light exposure by 5am, 6am in the morning, the sun comes up, it's signaling to your body, hey, time to wake up. But you've actually haven't gotten enough sleep yet because you didn't go to bed at 8 p.m. when the sun set. You went to bed at 11, 12, maybe even later. So 
if you do that, your your sleep gets disrupted, right? That's why you got to block out the light so you can get more time to sleep. No, it makes total sense. Are you a camper? You've been out long enough to where you do get in that cycle with the sun uh, setting and then rising. I have not, but that sounds like a, like quite amazing. Have you? I did actually I, once. It only, ha- it only happened to me once. I happened to be on a um, a vacation that I was a year long vacation traveling on the world, and I was camping on a beach in India for like three weeks, and just got super in tune with the light cycles. And oh my, it was, God, it was magnificent! Amazing. Like being asleep by seven and waking up with first light at five. Like I really felt in tune with Mother Nature. <laughs> that sounds like an amazing experience. So, how many naps do you take a day? Do you think on average? <laughs> just one. Just one. How long does it last? Um, now these, like if I get decent sleep, um, the night before, uh, usually these naps are about 30, 35 minutes, but if I'm tired, I, I don't set an alarm clock. So I just sleep whenever. And actually that's, that's what we do at the office. Like everybody takes a nap after, after lunch. That's so rad. Do you pull out your cots like in preschool? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have uh, so I sleep in this. So the boss sleeps in the storage room. I got a inflatable air mattress, but most of the staff they they bring a yoga mat. They just put it <laughs> on the floor and, and sleep. That's so rad. How many staff do you have working for you? We have uh, so my business partner, and then four in the office, and then we have uh, three vir- four virtually. Okay. Yeah. I mean, are you trying to grow this thing to like a mega company or like you said, you're just reinvesting your own capital as you make it and just trying to be a, a profitable company for as long as you can? Um, I, I guess when you say mega, you're talking about like like raising money, this kind of stuff? Or yeah, what do I don't you mean? know what I'm talking about. Like, I mean, I, I, my, like the $100 million company, you try to IPO this company, I guess would be my question. No, I don't have these ambitions. You know, I just, for me, like playing, for me, so, so, you know, aside being interesting work and, or, or taking care of the family and making a, a decent living, it's, for me, it's like playing a video game. You know, I'm a huge nerd. I, I not anymore these days. Um, can, I just don't have time for video games uh, these days. But when I was young, uh, I played a lot of video game and, and business for me, it's, it's almost like a video game. Um, it's like just getting to the next level, right? Like, like it's just fun for me in that way. But I don't envision it being like IP. I mean, like IPO, or I don't have these kind of big ambitions. It's too tiring. I don't know. I just want to, you know, make some money, enjoy life, and have a family. And all that stuff. That's <laughs> leave rad. that for somebody else. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, hobby wise, I mean, you, you alluded to being uh, into video games. Do you have anything else you really like to do? So not so much video games these days. Uh, these days, I just love going like for a walk or a hike with my wife and my dog, and that's kind of the kind of the thing. Where I think we're planning to have kids soon, so maybe that's going to be a big part of it. Do you ever plan on like capitalizing on the fact that I mean, technically, you could probably be more location independent and take your wife and the dog and even your kids and start moving around the world and just working from a laptop and not being as stationary as you are right now? Do you ever have more ambitions to do that, or you think you're just going to pretty much be stationary for a while? You know what? I think, and so um, so I've been kind of, I've been doing this for a couple of years, and I've got a lot of friends who are kind of location-independent entrepreneurs. And I think in the earlier stages, um, there, there was a lot of talk about traveling to different places, working off of a laptop. But now, and I, I never d- done that because I just, I mean, like it's a small screen. I want my big monitor in the office and all that kind of stuff. But with these, like l- last weekend, I was just at a conference talking to a bunch of them. They were like, yeah, like um, traveling is kind of cool, but like, you know, you just, like sometimes you just want to sit down with a big monitor uh, with, you know, your, 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 your amazing keyboard and everything, you know, like in a good posture doing your thing. Um, that works better for me. Like I, I, I very much find it 
to be hard, it's hard, difficult to be productive. When I'm moving on a small screen, when I got like 20 different windows that I want to show up all on the screens, kind of side by side to do my thing. So I, I mean, I'm planning to travel quite a bit this year with my wife just for, for our honeymoon and, and stuff like that. And, uh, but I, I want to do my work and then I want to go and play, but rather than kind of being on the road all the time tr- while trying to simultaneously work. No, that's totally cool, man. Everyone, you know, to each their own. If you could talk to like one audience member right now and just give them those like little bit of words of wisdom, inspire them maybe to take that first step towards entrepreneurship, towards travel, towards just designing the life in the way they want, what would you say to them? Um, maybe a couple of things. The first one I think is really a, um, is a mindset thing. And, and we had conversations about this last time when we had uh, dinners together. I think it takes some time to change our mindset. Like, it, like, like I can say, yeah, I believe it. But if I don't really believe it, it's really hard to make that into reality. And, I, and, the, and, the, and the best way I think to change our mindset is just to get exposure to people, podcasts, information that's related to what you want to do. And with time, um, a mindset change is almost inevitable. Um, and another thing kind of related to this note is that like if you – you know, somebody want to start a business. One of the biggest mistakes I made uh, in the earlier years was I thought I could do everything myself. Like I was a keyboard warrior. You know what I mean? Just banging away on the keyboard all day, looking at the internet, like I can figure this shit out myself. Um, but the biggest jumps that I've experienced in business um, was going to conferences and meeting people and making friends with people who are doing what I'm doing. And in the earlier days, I always thought like, what, you know, I, like I would say, okay, this conference is going to cost me $500. I don't want to pay this. And if I went and if I did pay that and I went there, I was like, thinking, like, what can I get out of it? And that was just totally not the right mindset to be like, like, like the, the, the biggest wins I found is not really going there and figuring out what I can get out of it, but really just to go there and absorb the atmosphere, make some friends, because with these friends, you can do masterminds, you can hang out with them. It's going to accelerate the way that we change our mind mindset. And so that's been the biggest help. And I really, I think our business would be much bigger if I had not wasted maybe the first three years banging away on the keyboard by myself. I love it, dude. So if somebody wants to get one of your masks or other sleep aid products, where could they go? Mantasleep.com. Manta is a manta ray, M-A-N-T-A, sleep.com. That's where all the goodies are at. You're the man, Mark. Thank you so much for sharing your story. We love you and wish you all the best. Thank you very much. I hope uh, that was uh, at least a little bit helpful for some people. Awesome, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Huge inspiration to me. You and I have had a lot of conversations about you know how to get my business to where it needs to be, and I appreciate your time and just being you. Again, if you have sleep problems, you can get one of these masks by going through the show notes. I've added a link in the show notes that'll take you to misfitsandrejects.com backslash Manta Sleep. And I hope you got a lot of this episode and all the ones that have been published before this and all the ones that are coming up in the future. I've uh, been really meeting some interesting, amazing people around the world who really inspire me to take responsibility for my life, design the life that I dream of, that I want for myself. No excuses get shit done, be the person I want to be, have the life I want to be, no matter what. I think you all are so very, very beautiful. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to seeing you in next week's episode. Until then, much love. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that 
maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it, it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.